you were to describe this episode we've had, I know we'll probably ha we'll definitely have one in the future. What would it be? And I just love catching up with you. You know, you're one of those, like I said, the people that you you want to follow and uh, see how they do after the time that you were spent more time with them. This is Behind the Exploratory Lens, and yes, indeed, we do have a guest. It's going to be a two-parter episode, but first things first, got to talk about some racing news that has happened, also the future scope of my career, how I'm going to approach things going forward, but first, let's talk about music real quick, because we will indeed talk about music with my guest, DJ Trangel, but that's not the only thing we'll be talking about in our two-part episode. Let's discuss about music. WAP. Wet ass pussy as it is, or in my favorite lingo, want a Pepsi, thanks to whoever made that meme with suicidal tendencies, because institutionalized is my go-to music when it comes to Pepsi, because it's Pepsi. All I want is just a Pepsi. Pepsi, Pepsi. Anyways, yeah, so that meant BTS's Dynamite is no longer number one, but it's number two. Well, so much for that K-pop movement, well, that lasted quite well. well. At the very least, it was longer number one than the stupid song by Trolls, which is considering funny enough that my mom had to shut me up due to the fact she wanted to hear what that fruitcake had to say about whatever it was. I think it was his father got murdered or what have you. Well, I asked a question to Haley Deegan as far as how does she approach these ordeals where people say, oh, she's just wasting her time running in the arc because she should be going to the truck series or... Vice versa. She gave an excellent explanation. As a matter of fact, here is what she had to say when I asked her that. Because in my as I talked about it on the last episode, she's not wasting her time. Let her be. And that's just my opinion about that ordeal. So here is my question, and here is her response. It's been mentioned multiple times how difficult is it to with the lack of practice. But there's also the discrepancy. Some people feeling like Arca made to many people's eyes is like a setback. What do you have to say with those folks saying such thing where they don't understand the driving mentality process like you do? Yeah, like at the end of the day, ARCA is a development series. It's not the Cup Series. It's a development series where it's a stepping stone for drivers to move up to higher levels. And I think people get so judgmental on it. it and it is. Like, there's some moments where, like, people make mistakes. It's thrown together. Um, it's not cup racing. And so people have to understand that. But also, to a certain extent, like, we were supposed to be getting more out of the Argus series than we are, and we were supposed to get pit stops, and that's something I really needed to practice and need to practice before I go to trucks, and we were supposed to get practice qualifying. We usually get a day before practice at most of the big tracks, and that's something like all of that's getting cut. We maybe get five laps of practice at some of the bigger tracks, like Michigan, like those type tracks, and then all of a sudden, you go right into the racing, green flag racing. It's just it's something that's a lot different and it's definitely been a lot more difficult and harder on my career. At the very least, she has an excellent mindset. She doesn't want to be rushed. She wants to be excellent before she moves up to the next level. Of course, with the pandemic, it certainly not helped whatsoever. Some have adapted quite well, others have not. And that's just the scope of racing sometimes. And speaking of racing, Sebastian Bourdais will no longer be a full-time IMSA regular. Because in 2021, he's going to be a full-time IndyCar guy once again. Of course, he'll finish his IMSA tenure this year. But beginning with the Harvest Grand Prix, you'll be driving the number 14 Chevrolet. That is an AJ Foyt car, which is definitely what that team needs. Because let's face it, 
with Kanan's future being unknown, he wants to come back. He wants to run one more year. And there's also the rumor of Elio Castro-Nemes perhaps being one of the contenders of that Ford car. You need somebody with experience that's won championships, that's won race, that can still get the job done. And I feel like Ford is the answer. Dalton Keller will be moved to a third car for next year. And I feel like him in the 14 was not doing him any well. Nobody expected Keller to be that good. Nobody. Other than probably himself and the team having some sort of confidence, but nobody expected. So this was a much needed change. Good for Bourdais and good for the future of AJ Ford Racing because you definitely need a team like this. There was a little bit of a concern that it was going to be the third major legendary team from a different discipline that will go up for sale and be given to somebody else like Richard Petty Motorsports and NASCAR, whoever it may end up being. There's a wild rumor about Denny Hamlin. And of course, Williams going from Sir Frank and Claire running the whole thing but to an entire entity. And man, oh man, you got to feel so bad for George Russell. He was... Even with 12 cars left, he could still not get a top 10. He got beaten by both Ferraris of Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel. Even Vettel felt pity for the poor lad. I know for this for a fact, he's going to score a point in 2022. When probably he's going to end up being a Mercedes. And after what we saw in the Tuscan Grand Prix, which had two red flags, three standing stars, Bottas completely blew it. That did not do him any wonders as far as post-2021. He's going to be with Mercedes next year, but I think that might be it. We just saw Bottas completely choked, and he got multiple opportunities to beat Hamilton and make the race exciting. That wasn't the case. Hamilton won his 90th Grand Prix. He's one away from tying Michael Schumacher. Could he tie it to Soki next week? Time will ultimately tell. But man, Bottas has got to really step it up because right now he's not looking prominent. Speaking of not looking prominent, right now it's Sergio Perez who will no longer be with Racing Point because Sebastian Vettel will join that team which will be rebranded as Aston Martin next season. I don't hate the decision. I hate the fact that Perez got put on the wayside. Could there be an IndyCar future? I said this like months ago when those rumors were running wild when Bert when battle. I almost said I almost pulled that every here's the funny thing every now and then I will mix up Borde and Vettel when as soon as the announcement he wasn't coming back with Ferrari I just knew that was not looking good for Paris because everybody when the Aston Martin rumors were coming I was like yeah Paris is gonna be out he needs to win he's podium to give him some sort of leverage and now all I see him in his future is just Alfa Romeo and Haas my idols are downgrades but I said the same thing when he went to Force India after that disastrous tenure in McLaren that only lasted one year and the main reason I'm not too big on Kevin Magnussen my stance on him has changed over time but I still resent the fact that they went with it but look what happened to McLaren after Paris left it kind of sunk horrendously so it worked out and look he saved the Formula One team he saved them he saved that team from losing from bankruptcy honestly he basically saved them and what and that's all the things he's gonna get is just get the boot yes he's not a great restarter he's not a, the greatest standing start guy period and yeah I still stand if he qualifies well he finishes well kind of like what's similar with Haley Deegan she did all right at Toledo she finished six and still not great considering even if it is a 17 car arc of field it helps to have the e as a combo race with the east to boost up the numbers Bristol's gonna be 27 entries. Now that's an arc of field right there. Now, now, that's, now that's healthy right there. And as far as NASCAR silly season, Daniel Suarez is no longer gonna be with Gone Brothers Racer. So yeah, for the third consecutive year, he's gonna be a free agent. And for the fourth time in as many years, he's gonna be driving for a different cup team. 18 was Gibbs, 19 was Sewer Haas, 20 this year with Gone, next year blank. 
rumors say the problem is going to be Richard Penny Motorsports in the 43. As I mentioned, this Bubba Wallace is going to be looking for somebody to write. And there's even a rumor out there that Bubba Wallace could be Suarez's replacement. It's kind of like a trade swap. They're swapping seats. They're swapping teams. I only see a benefit. I only see a benefit of Wallace going to that team. It's just the sponsorship he'll bring. If Danny Hamlin does not get involved in the ownership stakes like I've been hearing for quite a while, and if he becomes some sort of an owner and gone, I don't, that's a downgrade in my book, going from a team that he basically made them better. They've had some good runs then and there. They're still inconsistent. Now all of a sudden it's gaunt after all the talks about Hendrick, Ganassi, or other teams. Like, Ganassi's not a bad idea. Probably one of the more better choices. Do I see him going to Hendrick? I don't think so. I think that 48 could go to Eric Jones, and I hope it is Eric Jones because Eric has proved has proven to be a winner. He won the Southern 500. He won Daytona. He won the Bush Crash, and I mean, and I meant that Bush Crash because if you remember back in February, which I was there, only what was it like six cars finished the race, and the one that looked the most damaged won, not the one, not about the one last in line, actually won. So I hope. He goes in, in that 48. There's also Kyle Larson involved. There's also the stars of Chase Briscoe. Maybe Austin Sendrick or a Daniel Hambrick. And, and, and this is one thing that Joseph Strigley from TobyChristie.com. Shout out to Toby, by the way. Brett Moffat. I would totally be on board with Brett Moffat. But it's just a matter of whether Hendrick sees it and whether the marketability side sees it as well. Because Brett has proven to be a racer race, a true racer. He only wants to be in top tier equipment if he wants to get another try to cop. People forget he was the 2015 Rookie of the Year. 2015 Rookie of the Year. People and then watching about a year or two, depending when the time comes, he's going to be, oh, Brett Moffitt's a rookie. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. It's the same thing they said about Alex Bowman a couple of years ago when he, I don't know, he drove for BK Racing in that horrible two year, the horrible stint that he had, and then he went to. Tommy Baldwin and then like he was supposed to be a 2016 full-time driver before he didn't find out until like Facebook or a text message that he got let go in favor of Regan Smith and I think a few other drivers as I recall it might have been just Regan Smith it's been a long time now but Bubba Wallace and the Gone Brothers I will only be on board with it if Hamlet is involved in that ownership stake because keep in mind Daniel Suarez has been frustrated He's driven a one-year-old Toyota. He's driven a, is a year-old Toyota. He missed the Daytona 500. He's had some good runs in and there by their standards, which is a top 30. To where I think their biggest battle is just beating J.J. Yaley in that Rick Ware car. But Suarez, he's looking like he may be the, the better end of the stick compared to Wallace. Believe it or not. And, if I, and I'm kind of glad people like Jenna Fryer saying that he's just had the raw end of everything in his cup career. He's been through a lot. Do I feel like he could still win? I believe so. Yeah, the 2016 Xfinity Championship, yeah, but you can question it's like, oh, he should, the only reason why he won is because of Cole Witt with no tires decided to go on be Blaze of Glory. But anyway, that's a different story for another time. So yeah. A lot of stuff. Oh, and the last bit of news is Sam Mayer's going to be a full-time Xfinity regular. The plan is for him to be full-time during the second half of 2021 before doing the whole championship trail in 2022. He'll be driving for JRM, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s team. Somebody sees the potential of that young man. 17 years old. He's got an East Championship. He's probably going to win it again. He's done really well in national ARCA races. He's going to run a couple more truck series events. That guy has talent. If you want to talk about a guy that could be transitional, that has shown excellence. Last week, I mentioned him. What helped Sam Mayer beat Haley Deegan at I-44 
was due to the fact that he's had experience out of front. He's used to it. He won a new Smyrna. He held. He, held, he found a way to hold off Derek Griffith for that victory. The new Smyrna. Because that, to me, that was the one race that I said, how come Derek, nobody's talking about Derek Griffith? Derek Griffith is talent. Yeah, he's right up there with the Ty Gibbs and those guys up there in the could be future transcending start. Sure, you're asking a lot for him to go from Arca to limited truck. Very few trucks start to jump straight to Xfinity, but Mayer's going to get the job done, I think. Anyways, that's all my talk for this episode as far as news is concerned. Let's talk about my guest that I'll have on for the next two episodes. TJ Trenchell. How I know him is through the University of Idaho. And I mentioned multiple times. I really don't discuss about my college time because it's mostly negative. And with the very few positives was indeed TJ. He was the newspaper. I think he was also the media radio advisor at Idaho. As when you hear him, he'll probably correct me his official title. And, I'll, and, I'll def, and I definitely asked him his main title during Idaho. How we've met is kind of funny, considering he replaced Sean O'Neill. Everybody from that, like the Ryan Taranallis and the Caitlin Crassels of the world loved Sean O'Neill. So when TJ came along, he was in a tough spot. Kind of like how I was later, a semester after he came along to be the advisor for KOI FM Moscow 89.3. It's also to be referred to as QE, but I say it all the way through because that's just the natural way of saying something. How he, how we first interacted, if I remember, is either wrestling related or to the fact that I, when I became the Vandal Nation website manager after Corbin McDonald had to set out for the rest of his tenure. But I brought some diecasts like a Dale Hart Jr. Pepsi 400 diecast and a Shauna Robinson 164 of the Polaris car. Not the Polaris, the Polaroid car. Polaris. Anyways. Over time, we got along great. He ultimately became my media mentor in a time period when I really had no support system, especially at Idaho. He was basically my, my, my main supporter through this time period during my couple years of college and then after I graduated and beyond. So without further ado, here is TJ telling you who he is. He might be also an author. You never know when it comes to this program. As a matter of fact, he is an author. I just wanted to play a little bit of tease role. And Anyways, without further ado, here is TJ. Hello, audience. I am TJ Tranchel, writer, teacher, husband, father. Thanks for listening. I want you all to know that failure is an option. You can fail and still succeed as long as you keep trying. Don't ever let anybody else kill your dream. Keep going. That's what I do. Uh, just seeing the look from my son, he's seven. When he says, Daddy, I want to be a writer like you, makes every day worth it. And it can be that way for you, too. It is my absolute pleasure to have TJ. Not only he was a former media advisor, he's also taught some classes, and also he is a, quite a renowned author. So without further ado, how you been? Staying busy, putting words to paper all the time. Yeah, I know how that feels, especially when... You, you know, when it comes to journalism, you got to be on it and make sure things go well and sounds fluid. Was every now and then when I read my stuff, I said, eh, this could be a little bit better. And I was like, oh, I need to fix this real quick for it to make sense. Don't we all have that moment? Oh, absolutely. Revision is a huge part of the process, whether it's a journalistic article, a column, a short story fiction all of it revision is a huge a huge part 
<sighs> definitely revision was a huge instrumental part of when I when I was at Idaho because it ultimately led to me saying, you know, certain people are not gonna let define me how my writing's gonna be. I'm gonna get better, and if I believe something very strongly, I'm not gonna shy away from it. And that's been the case for all my life. And I know we'll discuss about more about my senior year, of course, because that was the ultimate test that I gone through, even now. But at the very least, looking back at it, I've handled it a lot better. And yes, sometimes when I voice my opinion, nobody will listen. But that's the nature of life. I'm it, used it to it. It really is. You know, and you have to realize everything that we're putting out there, you know, we're never going to reach as many people as we want to. But you also have to realize you are going to reach someone. And that one person might need to read or hear what you've put out more than you realize. And you may never hear from them. But it's so important to get it out there no matter what. Even if it's a letter to someone, I may or may not hear or figure out if they got the letter. Which is kind of funny because sometimes when I send a letter... They don't receive it, or when somebody wants to send me a letter, I don't receive it. That was back when I used to live in an apartment in Everett, where the mail system was completely convoluted. It was completely clustered that even my close friend from high school sent me, what was it, a holiday card. And I never received it, and I was completely bummed about it because I made sure the address was right. So I've had the weirdest luck when it comes to mail. Some things just get lost in the shuffle, unfortunately. It's yeah. happened to me. I just lived in a house for two years where I was getting mail for a couple that lived there previously from what I assume was this couple's aunt or grandmother. And it's like, you you got to tell grandma that you updated your address because she's sending you stuff. <laughs> I know that feeling every now and then. What I typically do, if it's not mine, I just leave it in the box because eventually they had to clear it and send yep. it to the next episode. First things first, and I mentioned this at the very beginning of the episode that I've already recorded. It's kind of interesting how we kind of, our first interaction was, due, I said it was either between a wrestling related or due to the fact that I had a Shauna Robinson diecast in my office table <laughs> when I used to do Vandal Nation. I think oh. it might have been that, if I recall. One or the other, but I have a deep appreciation for obscure NASCAR. You know that. Mm -hmm. um, so seeing something like that, to me, really said, this is a person who is not only knowledgeable, but passionate. Because I know people who are passionate about NASCAR that would never have one of those. They just pay attention to the big drivers the people who are winning championships and all that, but they don't get that sense of history to place something like that on a desk. It, it really spoke a lot about you to me, and I appreciated seeing that. Yeah, and that's the case. That's the thing with a lot of those big NASCAR YouTubers. It's like they appreciate it, but sometimes their history or factuals are not there or they're missing something big when i did the meridian race when deegan won i remember vividly but i wanted to double check if she was the first woman then i realized shauna robinson won those three goodies dash races like well i got incorporated somewhere because that little tidbit doesn't need to be ignored it shouldn't be ignored and people tend to forget a little bit the shauna wanna pull in the when it used to be known as the bush grand national before mm -hmm. the whole ordeal with 
on lap one, turn three between that guy that had a <laughs> that guy that I will not mention because he's one he's suspended for such comments that he's made out that where I don't really discuss about. Yeah. When it comes to my program, I don't discuss all of that stuff at all because I want to not even in my social media posts I discuss about it. it's like if I find out about it, it's like okay that happened and I just yeah. move on. Well, the thing with that with the Deacon and Shauna thing is when things are so far apart, people forget. And so there's a generation of drivers and fans who weren't around to see Sean and Robinson race. And so they might just assume, oh, well, because I've never seen something, it must be new. Yeah, and, and twenty nine. It was a twenty nine year gap between Jonas' last Goody Stash wins and then Deegan's first win back in twenty eighteen, which is funny about twenty eighteen when I covered that one, was due to the fact that that was last minute, because I found out that Meridian was like a fifteen minutes away from the airport. Boise he's like, this is doable. I can do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Why sometimes, not? Sometimes those are the best things. It's just like I'm just going. I'm just going. Yeah. It's kind of unfortunate I haven't had that sense, and with the pandemic now that Meridian is not happening this year, I don't think Las Vegas is happening because, for me, if I wanted to do Vegas, I would like to know a few weeks in advance, or I, by that point have my driver's license so in case so I could go through the rental car process and not having to worry about rides because they haven't even announced yet if they're going to allow fans to go to that race. Yeah. I hope they do. The Vegas track and that whole area right there with the big speedway, the bull ring, and the drag strip is just such an incredible place because all three of those styles can be in this same little area. Of course, they never run at the same time, but just knowing that you could be at the super speedway and then just on the other side of the wall is an NHRA licensed drag strip is incredible and then having people coming up at the bull ring knowing that the bush brothers started there and now they're both championship drivers is just an amazing feeling oh for sure vegas has been on my bucket list for a good while and if and when i ever go there if either is this year or next year very likely it's going to be next year if I decide officially that I'm just going to focus on saving and then prepare for a better 2021. I know for Vegas, at some point, I know I had to stop around turn number one, find a photo area of turn number one to just pause and reflect thinking, because by next year, it'll be the 10, 10 years that Dan Weldon lost his life down there. And when I think of that Vegas circuit, I always think about Dan. Yeah. Because that day... When he passed, that was a weird one for me because I remember vividly everything that what happened. Ultimately, I'll give the short story of it because I think eventually with this podcast, I'll discuss about that whole ordeal. I basically found out his passing at a Costco and I had to sneakily grab the remote because people tend to forget that back in the day, not that long ago, Costco would show live sporting events on those TVs. But they kind of stopped doing it, which is kind of a bummer. Because imagine, like, you're going to Costco, if you're, like, not keen in the shopping, it's like, oh, the wife or whoever are the ones interested in shopping, it's like, 
Okay, you go do shopping. I'm just gonna stand around those large TVs and watch the NFL game. Right. Yeah, that's how that's how I watched when Stephon Diggs caught that touchdown against the Saints. That's how I saw it. It's like it seems like Costco brings some good moments when it comes to sporting events. Well, it's, the one with Weldon was not a good thing. It was a very tragic ordeal, but yeah. But yeah, it's a generational gap. And sometimes and that's been the little bit of the frustrating things being kind of a journeyman. And I don't mind being the journeyman in this ordeal because i kind of been a journeyman my entire career. It's that there's so many good stuff out there that just don't get a notice because you're not at a certain level. And it's funny how even if I am at a certain level on the IndyCar side based on the brand and based who were there back then, i kind of being left on the wayside. And, the, and this year has tested me very hard to figure out how to keep myself encouraged in times like this where I'm not considered one of them or relevant enough to ask a question, especially during the Indy 500 month of last month, right? where I was like, I'll write the Darns articles, get it over with, just prepared for 2021 because I saw the writing on the walls like, even if I'm in the site that my editor-in-chief wrote for IndyCar, he's done stuff for Auto Week, Racer Magazine, and what have you. You have another guy that left due to a different ordeal because he didn't get the Indie Star gig. The Indianapolis Star, of course, that's the biggest newspaper outlet when it comes to Indie car racing. Mm -hmm. You think I would get some good leverage thinking, <laughs> oh, but no, it's been the complete opposite. Where people that don't cover Indie car hardly at all or know for a fact they are not Indie car regulars get to ask questions like nothing. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, that happens, but the important thing is that you have to decide if you want to be there so that when your chance does come, you're there, right? That's that's one of the hardest things to do is to be able to just bide your time and know that if you give up and if you quit, you're never going to have a chance. But if you stick to it, you're, eventually your time will come. You know, even if your time ends up being one question, and that's all you ever get. At least you were there for that. Yeah, and I take great gratitude to get and that. For me, my advice is like keep it the one question, and hopefully it makes sense. Like when my Twitter and even my Facebook page that I'm finally making more out of it, rather it's just a page that was created by one of my friends back in high school and all that that I finally revamped last year. To where it's like even if it's one question, I hope it makes sense. Yeah. Every now and then I'll be like, wait, Bob Parker's just asked that question ten minutes ago. Why did I ask that again? What? But being a Zoom call, you can kind of make that little leeway saying, oh, I assume he wasn't there right away, so that's why he asked. But me personally, knowing that when I look back, it's like, he just asked that question. Why did I ask the same thing? Or sometimes I have to realize certain people's like, certain questions should not be asked because I got really chewed, chewed by a driver younger than me about when I asked about <laughs> 2021. He didn't want to talk about 2021. It's like, okay. Consensus said, never ask anyone about 2021 up until I'm in a level where, okay, they might be more lenient. Yeah, you know, sometimes that's tough because you you want to be looking forward also. And you know they're all, every one of those drivers and teams and crew chiefs and owners, they're always looking toward the next week the next year even though they'll say we just got to focus on today we just got to focus on the next game after this one things like that 
it doesn't work that way because it's still a business. Like if they were, if teams were only focused on one race, one game at a time, people wouldn't leave or announce that they're not going to be with a team like Bubba Wallace mm-hmm. announcing now that he's not going to be with Petty anymore when there's still season going on. If you were actually still thinking about one race at a time, you wouldn't say that until the season was over. This silly season has been odd. You would think it would be not so much with the pandemic and everything happening, but it's been the complete opposite. It's been more bizarre than any other year because you have Eric Jones. There's also Kyle Larson maybe coming back. Daniel Suarez just announced he's not coming back with the 96 team, which I don't necessarily blame him because it has to be held driving a year-old Toyota on a weekly basis. It's a team that just literally became full-time like, what, two weeks before Daytona rolled along? That is asking a lot. And I feel like at the end of the day, Suarez might be fine from it. But when you go from team to team, I have not seen any driver jump from that many teams full-time since Casey Mears in the late 2000s. Yeah, well, that was kind of Mears' thing, too. You know, stability really does help. You know, you see people, it's the same, I would say, with any sport. If you like baseball free agents, they play for one team for 10 years, they sign a massive free agent contract, and they tank. Albert Pujols is a great example of that. Awesome with the Cardinals forever. Massive contract with the Angels and just has not produced the same. He's still consistent and, you know, racking up sort of those career numbers, you know, for longevity, but he's not hitting 315 and mashing 40 homers like he was beforehand. And that's common, especially in baseball. To see that happen. Mm-hmm. And it really hurts me being a super, super anti-Angels guy seeing him in that in those colors for probably the same amount he's been with the Cardinals almost it feels like. It's like, yeah. I would rather have seen him be making all those milestones elsewhere. But I do get to say that at one of the Mariners games I went, I saw Pujols and Mike Trout score homers in the same game. It's like, well, that was kind of neat. I still don't like the Angels. <laughs> no. I think I think you can like a player or a driver and not necessarily like an owner or a team. You know, yeah. I had that I had that conflict when Dale Jr. went to Hendrick, you know, and if he hadn't explained some of his history with Rick Hendricks and all that, you know, I would have felt a lot worse about it. But still that there was that whole why Hendrick? You know, yeah, you want to go to the what is essentially one of the better organizations in the sport, and you understand that. But at the same time, why are you going to play with the people you fought against for so long? Yeah, that's like Kevin Durant when he went from Oklahoma to the Warriors. But at the very least, what we saw in those years of the Warriors, he basically took over that team in my opinion because that was Steph Curry's team. That was Clay Thompson. Then when he when it came to crunch time and overall, he kind of made it, he made became the number one guy overall because he produced when it matters most, whereas Steph Curry in the finals, he's not been that great. He still hasn't even gotten the MVP in that regard. Durant has. It'll be interesting to see how he does as a Brooklyn net because I think, who knows how he'll do now. But it reminded me of that analogy how 
Why would you join the best team? It's like, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot to be said for that. You know, and it's... I was thinking... Who was it? The wide receiver that signed with Cleveland and said, I'd rather make a bad team good than a good team better. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who that one was. Yeah. So, you know, it was a, a bigger name, but he signed with the Browns. And he's like, I'm going to go here. Talk about Odell Beckham? No. Okay. It wasn't Beckham. It was um, the other one. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't remember yeah, I... right now. But, you know, that was – there's something to be said for that. Like, I'm going to go to the place where nobody – where there's not a tradition of winning and start it versus I'm going to go – join a tradition of winning and keep it going. I think both have their valid points. You know, and then there's people who go to bad teams, bad organizations, because they get thrown a bunch of money at and they don't care if they win. That's what it seems like anyway. I'm sure every professional athlete wants to win, ultimately wants to win. Mm -hmm. But some of those contracts you look at and like, no, I think you just went there because they offered you the most money. This is how the nature of the beast works when it comes to sports, money talks, and that's just how it works sometimes. It'll be interesting to see where does Bubba end up because he has all the sponsorships that he's garnered this year. But there's also this wild rumor about Danny Hamlin trying to go into the ownership where, okay, if Bubba somehow ends up going to the 96 instead of Chip Ganassi, that might be the more ideal approach. But if he goes to the 96, then I imagine Danny must have been involved with the ownership because if he puts some money in there and also... Bubba's sponsorship backing will help him out, then maybe they'll be good. But right now, I just don't see it. Because it'll take time. Sometimes, you can have a big-name driver put money on a, on a race team. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And plenty of times we've seen it start off good, and it falls apart down the stretch. Look at Daryl Waltrip, when he went to his own team. He started off like Hendrick Engines. Then he decided, I think I can handle it all by my own. And look what happened. That's a really good example. You know, and there's there's just a different mindset between driving and owning. Like, being in charge, being part of a team and being in charge of a team are very different. Dale Jr. is another great example of that. His ownership success has been not in the Cup Series, really. It's been in Xfinity and bush and all that whatever yeah and he has no intention to go to cup he's content where he is with the xfinity program and also the super lay model stuff as well so yeah well his whole intent is to bring up new drivers Mm -hmm. and be a sort of a feeder you know yeah he's a he's a a really good minor league organization (laughs) yeah sometimes that's okay the intention is to be such that and of course, you still got the Hendrick Alliance, so that helps mm-hmm. as well. And the same thing is looking like with GMS Racing, with David Grable, with Jeff Gordon being heavily involved on the stock car side of things. Because Grable going from World of Outlaws to now, both less stock cars, or in the case right now, the truck series, the ultimate goal in the foreseeable future. You can see that alliance working quite well. Where the truck series, you have GMS. Xfinity, you have JRM. And then, of course, Cup, you have... Hendrick, and of course Jeff Gordon when he takes over someday, which that time will come. It's just a matter of when. Yep, I agree. 
It's always funny how we talk about racing and pretty much essentially all my guests have some ties with racing as either a fan or a profession. That's just how it is sometimes. But of course, it's a variety show, so we're going to talk about those tumultuous times that I had in Idaho and what he had to go through taking over a big role, even if it was a temperamental time period that lasted a couple years. So one of the things that I wanted to know when I asked TJ is exactly the challenges of knowing that the placement that he had was temporary before diving into the drama that was my year at the Argonaut as an editor, whether it's of course the spring of 2016 being the Vandal Nation manager, the website, and of course in the fall being the video manager. So with that being said, let's go back to the interview with TJ. I know we kind of went from rides and all that and then the questions. I think, yeah, that's how I am sometimes where we talk about one subject and then we have to go back to the other one just as a refresher. One of the biggest things that I remember in that time period, if I recall, you took over Sean O'Neill's role, right? I did. Yeah, and what is what is what was your official title? Because I've had it mixed every now and then. I just want to make sure. What was your official title in, in those years at Idaho? At that time, the official title was Interim Student Media Advisor and General Manager. Mm, general Manager. That sounds very enticing. Because the General Manager, I don't remember. So, because I would have to say it's like you newspaper, radio advisor, but I figured to tell you that I wish I should have told you that right away, but I want to make sure I get that because I already recorded my first bit where I was con <laughs> pondering about it because you know, continuity, it flows better over time. Yep. But you were in an interesting time period of transition, much like I was because when I took over the Vandal Nation website, because Corvin had to take a sabbatical, then Garrett graduated, so Josh Grissom took over for the sports end. And one thing I noticed when I transitioned is like, I was the odd man of a well-clicked group. Do you felt that way almost to an extent where it comes to connection with those other folks? Because I definitely know both of us can agree, and I think that's how we got along so well, because we had similar circumstances to different roles where... You got a hard time understanding their, those other people that were there that were heavily, strongly opinionated, especially on the political end, which I was anything but that guy. I wanted to be just the neutral, talk about something else kind of guy, which yeah. I don't think it bode well when everybody else, but frankly, I honestly don't care what any of them thought, to be honest with you. I had my own group, which only lasted about a semester. And I just minded my own business. I just wanted to get better and accept it. You know what I mean? I do. And, you know, it's a hard, hard thing because, you know, I came in to do something that a person had been doing, you know, for 10 years. You know, and that's in that kind of role. That's a pretty long time. And not only had that person, Sean, been doing that job for so long, but. I had also been a student under him. So it's not like I was just some person off the street who had no knowledge of anything that was going on as far as a historical perspective or who the people working were. Like the people that I had to get to know were you and the other students and things like that. But like I'd had a relationship with Sean, right? An established relationship where he had been my advisor. He was in my wedding party, right? 
So I knew him and I knew things about the job, but I had to get to know all the people. And then even within that, there was so much fluctuation of different policies and procedures that I had to deal with. And one of the hardest parts was that as an interim, you know, I was not, you know, a full-time salaried, I worked full-time, but I wasn't, you know, the salaried permanent person in that job. You know, there was constantly, it might be just that one year, it might be the two years, it might last beyond that, right? So I never knew exactly how long I was going to be in that position. And so I never had the full power of the position to be able to institute policy and to make things better on a permanent basis. I always had to go up above me to get, essentially get permission to do things that I knew needed to be done. And that stretched from the payroll situations, which is where the general manager title comes in, that sort of business aspect of it, to how to operate with 80 to 100 students, right? So I never had that full power to do what needed to be done, and that was rough. I'd imagine so when there's no sign of long-term stability. And even in the couple years that I was around, which was, what was it, a year and a half? Because it was full, no. It was honestly a full year, to be frank, where I was involved in an editorial role. Spring 2016 with the Band of Nation, and then I became video editor in the fall 2016. Even in that year, I think you've done, with the job that you had at hand, I think you did quite really well handling stuff. And I look back, and I know we discussed about this every now and then, I always bring it back to, what was it, October or November, where somebody had to step up and say how... For me personally, how I felt for duration of the year, because at that time period, I was not friends with anybody, especially my sport, the sports editor at the time, which I really, I don't discuss about that person at all because we just not, we had different agendas. This person did not like how I felt about things that, and try to, to put it this way, try to sabotage, try to help me back and sabotage my career at the that I that had a lingering effect that I didn't got over until over a year later yeah. after I graduated. But there was this one meeting where we're, I don't know what led to it. I had that feeling. You basically said, and I'll, I'll if I remember, that all of us just had to stop bitching about everything. <laughs> well, I think the way I put it is that, um, including some more harsher language, is that you don't you don't have to be friends but you have to be friendly, right? And that's a fairly standard professional level to be at. Like you don't have to hang out after work with the people you work with, but when you're working together, you have to treat each other with respect and accept that everyone you work with is hopefully at the same professional level that you are, right? When you're a student journalist, you're still a student, right? You're still learning how to do this thing. And so there's a little bit of leeway for certain attitudes and mistakes that you wouldn't get when you are a professional, right? Post-college 
working for a professional organization. At Idaho, at the Argonaut, they have their student QE, KUOI, the advertising blot, the magazine. We would try to run it as professionally as possible. And so personal agendas like that really needed to be tamped down. But at the same time, in my role, I can't fire anybody. You know, unless somebody really basically breaks the law, I can't fire anybody. That's not my role. That's the student editor's job to do, right? So it's a, it's still a tough place to be, to be able to say, like, look, sort your shit out. But also, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily the one who can met out consequences for that. You know, it has to be internal like that to the other student editors. And if if they're playing politics too, it's rarely gonna go the way that it probably should for equity and fairness. Yeah. And that moment on I said finally somebody said something because if I would have said it I probably my my ass would have been out the door. Honestly. Because I was no I was I, I'm not afraid to say I was not their favorite at all. Maybe one or two would have been on my side, only one and two, and I mean yeah. it by that way. But everybody else, they probably would not care if I was gone. And honestly, I don't think they cared that I was graduating early, to be brutally honest with you. So that's after that Sunday meeting where you said all of that, I felt that my mindset said, you know, if nobody else is going to apologize or be open and admit to it, whether they were the big cause or none at all, I say, you know what, I'll just come by to your office and tell you, kind of like, oh, oh, up to my own shit, because I wasn't necessarily the easiest person to get along, but they don't know necessarily who I was to begin with, because they don't take the time of day to know my upbringing or where I come from, because they were so attached to Corbin and those guys, and Garrett before, that they do not know who I am, why I'm the way I am, which is why at times I've been vocal about it. But at the end of the day, I said, you know, I'll hope to my ordeal and just try to find a way to get better of it because there was some politic, political leverage. I'll well, be normally or blatant. Yeah. The thing with the, that kind of situation in student media is that everybody who works there student-wise is a short-timer whether you started on your first day as a freshman or your first day as a senior, your time is limited. Right? You're, it's not like a job. It, you know, it's like a job, but it's not a job where you know I'm going to do my best to be here forever. And so I think that allowed some people to be more flippant with their relationships and how they treated other people to be able to say, well, it doesn't matter because a year from now, I'm never going to see that person again. You know, and that's pretty sad because you never know who you might end up needing down the road or who might need you. And that person might forget how they treated you and need something from you. You just never know. Um, a great example is that 
when I left as a student, I didn't graduate. I'll just throw that right out there. I bombed out my last semester at Idaho as a student because I spent all my time in the newsroom instead of going to class. Don't do that. And so I bombed out. Other people graduated a year and a half down the road. I'm freelancing and couch surfing. And one of the people I worked with who I had a good professional relationship with needed somebody to cover concerts for the newspaper that she worked at professionally. That was my specialty. I went from Vegas to South Dakota and that person and I got married. Like we didn't have a dating relationship. We had a working relationship. And then suddenly things changed. We've been married almost 11 years now. So you never know. You know, if you treat somebody poorly, you're probably never going to be able to use that person as a reference, as a potential network, you know, to get more work or to give more work, right? But if you treat, treat other people kindly, or at the very least not unkind, you know, you could be pretty neutral on that. Just don't treat people like garbage. And you never know what could happen. Well, it's expecting unexpected. And it's kind of interesting how stuff like that works out where it reminds me of a time where me and my close friend from high school, where I was talking about the the holiday car, where being away after graduating from high school was probably the most healthiest things that could have happened. Because we there was at times we were had our moments where I had feelings for the person, but over but she didn't saw it that way. And it almost drifted us apart. Then by the end of high school, it's like, yep, let's move on. But years and years later, we're probably in a much better friendship status than we were in high school. So I look back to that. I even called, I just even called her a couple of weeks ago to kind of see her perspective about this one person that is going through lymphoma right now and just how to cope with it. Because it's the first time I've known someone in some capacity that I care for dealing with that but i want to yeah. make sure from her perspective how i feel is the right way to feel things and vice versa it's good to be able to look back and know that somewhere out there there's at least one person from each part of your life that you can still talk to at least a little bit like there's one person i talk to sometimes via social media from junior high school there's a couple people I talk to from high school. There's a couple people I talk to from post-high school. There's a couple people from college, right? And you just kind of latch on to those couple people. Even from that two years, I was the advisor there. You know, I don't, I don't talk to everybody, but I talk to, you know, a good half a dozen, a dozen and some more than others, right? Some some people I have conversations with one or two times a month, and some people it's every couple months. And uh, today I just, earlier today, was speaking with a former student who started a advertising and design business on his own about possibly building a new website for me and things like that. So 
things like that happen. You know, you, you find those couple of people who are are still going to be worth your time. You know, and that doesn't mean everybody's not worth the time, right? You know, anybody anybody who I was the advisor for could reach out to me today, and I would do my best to give them good advice, right? But there's some people that honestly I I care a little bit more about and want to see succeed more, right? Things like that. And that just that's just part of life. Yeah, it, it it is one of those deals where some people are more than willing to help out, all the, give all the time in the world. Or I know certain people, I feel like they're more reachable under certain circumstances. And there are some others that I'm just like very rare because I don't go out of my way talking to those folks where I'll help them out. But if they can't do one thing, then I'll keep that in mind. And not be as favorable over time because I know what to expect from other yeah. people. Yeah, you know, and that's the same kind of thing. You, you know, you, you can get a good sense of who a person is from their college years. But then again, some people change and mature and realize that five years ago or as they get older, ten years ago, they were kind of a horrible person and hopefully grew out of that. I wish that one person that I had clashed with the most would change, but I'm not going on my way to finding that out, to be brutally blunt with you. Because yeah, and, that was and just bad. Yeah, and you don't need to spend your time doing that either. Like, focus on what is positive for you instead of dwell on the negative and just move forward and be the best you that you can be. <laughs> Yeah, during my time at Idaho, it definitely had its ups and downs. I want to make a quick correction as far as earlier. I said Trangel. It's obviously TJ Trangel. I've always pondered about it, but never actually asked. Then again, other people in the NASCAR media said Luis Torres. I said Luis Torres, but I'll save that during 2021 when hopefully by that point they remember how to pronounce my name. They used to bother me, and I mentioned it a couple times. I even talked about it in the Holly Holland episode. As he dealt with that, how people spell Holly or pronounce Holly, like my name is spelled L-U-I-S, not L-O-U-I-S. Anyways, but yeah, it was a tumultuous time period, and that's one of the things that I vividly remember during my time is that we had similar elements in our career paths to where it ultimately ended up being similar as far as the respect level and kind of understanding what our role was. So that is one of the biggest things that I remember to this very time. Anyways, let's go back to my interview with TJ. If there's one thing that I look back from college, it's the, the fact whether or not graduating early was a blessing in disguise or a detriment. The beginning felt like a detriment because I didn't find the job. I didn't find the internship. I didn't find nothing the full year of 2017. And I felt like had it not been through that, had I not gone through that in 2017, I think this year I would have handled it much worse. Because it's not been easy to deal with all the crap that, that's happened this year. Essentially where being on a racetrack is essential. It's vital for the website, Motorsports Tribune, or whoever. For shooting photos, because I thrive on that more. Being at the house, not knowing the future, it can be a convoluted mess. This year has been a mess, to be yeah. honest. But had I not gone through that 2017 and the advice and got the advice that you gave me all throughout the year when I was writing all those articles for my 
on my website before I upgraded it to more of a professional portfolio site. I think, looking back at it, graduated early might have not been a bad thing at all. Yeah, there was a lot of motivating factors as to why I wanted to graduate early, and I mentioned that ordeal was one of the big reasons, but also... My question was, what would I have done in my final semester had I stuck around? One class, two class, three class, I'll never know. Would I have fixed the bridges with those people, especially the, the sports editor? Who knows? Yeah, you know, you, you never know. You just kind of have to move on, you know, go, well, here's what happened and here's where I am now. But yeah. what what you need to remember is that every time you say, graduated early the key part there is graduated because there's still a lot of people who don't yeah and and take that as a success like i said i basically flunked out as a student at idaho and it took me until i was in my 30s again to actually finish my bachelor's degree and then cruise on through for a master's so take that simple fact that you did graduate as a success because it wasn't simple right no. it's not it's not easy and that's why there's still a lot of people who don't do it that is a good point like looking at my room i have my diplomas from high school and college still with me my brother my brother is who graduated from central has the whole enshrinement and all that was the diploma and everything it's like good on you good on you mine is just simple diploma because i'm not <laughs> Terribly fancy. If I'm gonna have some fancy plaques, it might—it's gotta be racing memorabilia. That's just me, or yeah. I don't know, a journalism award. Which I think up until this year, that's what ate me up the most. It's just like I was hell bent and thriving to be recognized in some capacity. It's kind of like how—what would be a good analogy? Like CM Punk, for example, work your butt off, maybe, and your and the ultimate stakes where the stakes are very high you deliver but nobody wanted to back you up or recognize it enough to where it can get discouraging up and then one of them got very upset that the fact that indycar journalists didn't win any awards but everyone from nascar and sports car racing did it's like tell me that i should leave the the, the national motorsport express association as a protest it's like <sighs> you know all this hell-bent and trying to win awards to be recognized from the my alma mater. It's not that big of a deal, honestly. It's nice to eventually, hopefully, one day to finally get recognized by them. But at the end of the day, it's like, jeez, I don't want to end up like him. Right. I don't want to, just feeling such a sore loser. Awards are nice. And I say that as a person who won a couple Rightfully so, I'd imagine, no doubt. <laughs> no. Oh, awards are nice, but nobody ever got a job because of an award. Nobody ever got a... Well, I can't say. In certain places, some people get raises because of awards. Usually in academia. You know, but you know, nobody, ever, nobody ever got a job because of an award, especially in journalism. Mostly because everybody else knows that a lot of it is just about who you know. I mean, as far as awards go, I was a national finalist columnist. And 
nobody cares. I care. It was cool for a moment, you know, and I got to that point by submitting columns that were much more serious than what I did on a regular basis. The stuff that got me that award was not representative of what I usually wrote. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a game of chance. It's just you gotta you get the right people at the right time and go, yep, I like that. And somebody else can read the exact same thing and go, nope, that's junk. And you just never know. So awards awards are nice. They're not the beginning of the world and they're not the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely absolutely you definitely have a valid point for that. Because at the end of the day, they're nice to put on a resume, but look what happened. It took me over a year to find some stability in the journalism, and, and to where I had to restart my photography career. Because, as you know, I was the video guy. Well, radio mostly, but video guy was another thing. Right now, I'm just basically a writer and a photographer. That's all I am. I haven't done a major video project in like almost three years. Yeah. Which is kind of a shame because I really want to do that. But when it comes to racing, they have all those copyrights, right. TV contracts where you can't do this, you can't do that. Unless you're a local news reporter, it's like, ugh, how am I going to grow? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard. You know, and for, for me, I just started teaching full-time again in January. I'm 40 years old and have started and stopped my career numerous times but at the same time I just put out my third book and I have another book that had a publisher and the publisher closed before the book came out so that's back to me trying to send it out again to other publishers so trajectories you know nobody does things on the same timeline as anyone else right and I honestly high school to college to job and stay in that job for the rest of your life thing that doesn't exist anymore it's gone and i think part of american culture still wants to have that where you train for one thing and that's the thing you do the rest of your life and it's just not really true anymore like for example my wife trained journalist, she has a master's in journalism now, copy editor, food writer, all kinds of stuff for a long time, and then got out of that and started doing communications in higher education. Did that now for three, four, five years, and now has even jumped ship from that and worked and is now doing internal communications in a completely different industry. And that's that's the new norm right now, is change. Taking the skills from one thing and seeing how you can apply them somewhere else. So if you want to do video, you've got to find people who need videos. It might not be what you expect. But if you want to do race coverage, well, then you go to the race coverage that is needed and that might not include video ever again right so it all depends on what you want to do you know what, what do you want to focus on do you want to focus on a skill 
and develop it in different and unusual ways, or do you want to focus on an industry and give them the best you have that they need? Both are valid. I wanted to briefly pause that long conversation about Idaho to kind of discuss about the awards and also the what-ifs. Yes, every now and then I ponder upon it, like whether or not I have feelings for certain people, whether or not things would have been for the better, but over time, and I think with the awards story that I just told, it made me wonder that I think everything happens for a reason, and I think with that circumstances that I had to go through and realize that maybe being headed over heels over gaining an award is not the end-all be-all. As TJ said, it's nice to have. But at the end of the day, it's just for a brief cup of coffee and then you gotta move on to the next thing. And sometimes I do feel like the ones where I, I say to myself, man, this one was terrible. This one's not my greatest. Turns out to be probably one of my better ones. It happens when you write stuff for a long period of time. With that being said, let's go wrap up the first part of my interview with TJ. When I came to the Argonaut in the final semester, Sean was in charge. I never thought I was going to be doing writing as my main thing, like the, for the longest of time. Because I was like the photography guy in high school, but I wanted to try something else. I wanted to be an editor. I wanted to be more on the creative input of the yearbook. Sure, one family shoot, not towards me, but I knew it, being the editor-in-chief of my senior high school yearbook, it I took it very personal because that was on my watch to a degree. Yeah. And so, I'd, okay, I I didn't start seriously focusing on writing because writing was my worst subject. Not <laughs> My least favorite subject was science, but historically, from an academic perspective, it was my best overall category. I never had a grade below an A- minus from high school through college in the science field. But I wasn't too keen to. I was like, okay, let's get this out of the way when I was freshman year and I was done. But writing was never my strongest subject point. And then when I came along, it's like over time, it's thinking I might not be bad. Because that's probably why I was so passionate and frustrated and angry during my senior year. Because I knew I needed to get better. I wanted to do better. Yeah. It's just certain things about it I didn't like at all. It's kind of funny how one and it was not a not to let's put it bluntly not the greatest listener because I think when I had that massive sit together with with the sports editor and Claire the editor in chief, Claire understood my frustrations and all of that the whole scope. And sometimes when it comes to an editor, you gotta have that in my opinion. If I was looking for an editor, for example, I need someone that understands what they're going through, understands both sides of the argument. If you have somebody that's one sided. It doesn't care. That's that's where the problem began. That's kind of what ultimately boiled down, because that was the only time that I needed the motivation. Sure, that I needed the support and somebody to understand where I come from. Yes, that I needed to be put down, being backstabbed. Because that's what it was. Because yeah. I, I guess I said a few days prior, is everything good? And I was told everything was good. And I came for the main reason. No, it wasn't. It was the complete opposite. It's like, that's the thing I can't trust. I can't trust somebody who does that. Because if you're going to be honest, tell me right now so I can expect it. And then six would have leveraged that a little bit better. But it is what it is. And I learned from it. Because this writing thing be, kind of became my own thing. And the photography yeah. kind of grew due to that reason. And after college, like, okay, let me go buy a camera, a photo camera, and see how I do. And then over time, it's like, 
Hmm, I didn't like this. Then once I was hired with Motorsports Tribune in 2018, I said, any race I go, I'm breaking my camera. I realized there was a couple things that needed to be planned out in advance to do photos, like shoot at the racetrack, shoot at the corridor. But I feel like over time I've gotten better in that department to where I realized maybe I should start sending out portfolios and all that to photo companies see where it'll land me. And that's not easy for me to say the least because job hunting is a different animal. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know the thing is, one person can think something is okay, you know, and do their best to make it okay and move forward assuming that things are okay. And the people under them might not listen, might not follow through. And it's tough because you simultaneously lose trust of the people who did not put in the work that the person above them asked them to do. But then you also lose trust in the person above who said everything is going to be fine and then it wasn't. And it's not necessarily that person's fault. So... That's a pretty tough, tough situation to be in. Absolutely, it it is. But hindsight, I'm still writing. I didn't submit to the defeat, so I'm doing just fine. Sure, it's taking me a lot longer than I would like. It may take me a little bit longer, but just gotta keep at it. Exactly. There you have it. We got through the toughest part of this episode, kind of reflecting a little bit more from my time in Idaho. As I mentioned, it's not a subject I tend to talk about. I only talk about very few. Like I mentioned throughout the series, if it's a subject matter that I'm not comfortable to talking about overall, as long as I have a guest with me, I'm willing to discuss about it because certain wounds need to be opened up once more. But as long as you have a conclusion and what you have a takeaway and learn from it, then you'll grow as a human being and then it's fine to reflect. And I, and I have that mindset many years later after I got my diploma in 2016. There was one other thing I did not discuss about the intro that I wanted to bring up. And I mentioned it in my interview with TJ on and off the recording portions of this program. It's my writing. I mentioned that... Going forward, my Motorsports Tribune articles is going to be more opinionated based. It's not going to be like your standard PR stuff like announcement. There's going to be some of it there, but I'm going to get my own viewpoint. And hopefully it pans out. It's not going to be easy because it's asking a lot to write opinion columns. Stuff like that, I it's got to be something that I'm really passionate about. But if it's a way to turn the, the sign around, and hopefully it does, then I'm on board with it. But when it comes to other entities that I've ever joined... I'll provide what I love to do more. That's reporting what happened to this driver or what happened during the race. But that's okay. If the transition is meant to be, then it's fine by me. I have no issue at all. And with that being said, I hope you enjoyed part number one. Like I mentioned, part two is going to be the fun one where we'll talk about all different topics that we have in comment. So you definitely do not want to miss out. I can't thank TJ enough for being on my program for a couple hours to discuss all this kind of stuff. You'll definitely hear where you can find him in the next episode and kind of the, the journey that he had as an author and still going through. But also talk about Metallica, Bruce Springsteen, and also a couple movies that we need to see and maybe, just maybe... There is one movie structure that I find we both find unique, and it needs to happen every now and then. For now, 
Behind the Exploratory Lens is on Facebook. Instagram is at LuisDTorres94, L-U-I-S, D as in David, T-O-R-R-E-S-94. On Twitter is at the LT Files. My website is Luis Torres Multimedia. Just type in LuisDTorres.com. You'll find my photos and my blogs and vice versa. Best way to find this podcast that you're listening right now, it is available on Google, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. So until we meet again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just ponder just kind of what we've gone through. Hopefully you take some lessons from that and what and adapt it to your lives. In the meantime, catch you guys later. And more importantly, be mindful, use your head, and understand others before you jump into conclusions. <laughs>